LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Will Mancini. Now, if you don't know who Will Mancini is, then you're probably not a leader in the church. So if you're a church leader, you don't know who Will is, I would say uh, I'm going to give you a couple of of, uh, uh, things to maybe jog your memory. One is the book Church Unique. Uh, Two would be the book God Dreams. Three would be uh, the word Vision Frame or Vision Clarity. Now, you may have heard other people talk about these terms, but they're probably um, pulling references from one of those two books, I think, Will. So Will leads Oxano. Uh, he's the founder of it. And man, uh, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Man, it's great to be with you, Todd. So uh, Will does have a new book coming out in January, actually January 7th. So at the time of this recording, it's before Christmas, and we're both uh, still trying to figure out what to get our our little ones. Hey, how, how old is your youngest mm-hmm. now? She will turn three in February. So that uh, 26, 23, 20, and then a pretty big gap in two. So I have one daughter who's 20, one daughter who's two. That is, I just can't imagine. I have one daughter that's eight or no, seven, seven. One daughter is seven and one daughter that is 21 months. And I I remember... uh, you know, we found out we were having a baby right after you had yours because I, I had a conversation with you and I was basically laughing at you because I was like, I can't believe he's doing like, this to himself like again. Who, What's he who thinking? Who lays an egg in an empty nest? That's just crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, and then I did the same thing. All right. Um, but it's so fun. It's so different now, too. I mean, it's so maybe I just forgot, but it's so different and so special. And um Man, uh, I'm just so excited. Uh, I'm excited because you have done what you had done for churches, which is really provide framework and a tool to get clarity on who they are and where they are in their history and then helping them figure out where they need to be and how to move forward and giving them tools to do there. You did that with Church Unique. You do that on a regular basis with Oxano. Um, Well, now... The new book that you have coming out is called Unique, and you're doing that with people. So we talk on the podcast all the time about, you know, pipeline, and people are familiar with that concept. And we talk about moving people from uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 uh, to Ephesians 2, 10, and the whole idea of workmanship. So before we get into the five questions, man, tell how that idea of workmanship, how does that uh, how does that tie into this book? And and also tell them your daughter's name because I think they'll know. I, I'm obsessed, but you, my friend, are at a well, whole different level. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned my daughter's name because that will show you how much I love Ephesians two ten. So her name is Poema, which is kind of an easier you know way to say that uh, Poema from the, the Greek there. So that word for workmanship or masterpiece. I like the word masterpiece because it. Captures, captures that real deep sense of intentionality and beauty of the creator. So yeah, so a uh, little poema is my daughter. And every day I'm home with her, I still, even though she's getting bigger and bigger, I still like to 
pray over her. You are God's poema created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance that you should walk in them. And so it's a fun. So I think of her as the mascot for the unique, um, which is it's actually an organization too, Ty. So it's actually, you know, we've been in this four or five year R&D period. We've taken thousands of people through the process. Just last week, saw another 60 go through the process in San Antonio with three churches coming together at our hub there. So the book is now kind of the last expression of what does this toolbox and process look like to understand and name that idea of special calling. And so that's um, what, what Ephesians 2.10 means to me is what, you know, kind of from that whole, you know, leaders have that holy discontent. My holy discontent and kind of the big bang of the process and, and, and of course the book is the idea that most people, all believers have been given a special assignment from God, but most do not really understand it, haven't named it in a real precise kind of way. And so we just think there's a ton of breakthrough for people uh, waiting to happen when you go through a good process with some coaching and some tools to help you really kind of name that sweet spot of why God put you on earth. That's so cool. All right. Well, uh, I want to uh, shift into our five questions because I think um, there'll probably be some, some tie back into uh, your life's work and life's vision, uh, frankly. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and get started. What is a conflict or failure that has benefited you in leadership? Yeah, that's, that's such a great question. There's many I could choose from with talking about the book. It's hard not to think of really one that I look back and it's somewhat comical, but it was so serious and it was a pretty significant failure for me at the time. I, uh, when I graduated from seminary taught Willow Creek was kind of this, you know, poster child of church growth and effectiveness in the mid nineties. And I had a complete fixation on John Orberg, who was their teaching pastor at the time. So when I'm graduating seminary, I'm looking for kind of a, you know, WCA church, a Willow Creek model church. And I wanted to make a beeline for being, you know, the next John Orberg, you know, wherever I could find the platform and came down to Houston and found a church. They were growing quickly. They were a full willow model. And even, even the pastor and I, as we hit it off and I was, he knew I was, he was trying to recruit me. I was jockeying for a position and some teaching time. His biggest, his biggest need was a, was a children's pastor role. And I said, Bruce, there's no way I'm going to come to your children's pastor. But I kept, I kept thinking, you know, Ooh, you know, this is easily like 18 months, two years away. I could be a full-time teaching pastor there. I could be Houston's next John Orberg. So in my dialogue with Bruce, I was eventually, he really got me there. He got me to the point where I'm going to come on and do primarily children's ministry. I had to, you know, my, my ego couldn't handle it. I'm ashamed to say at the time. So I kind of negotiated the role of life development pastor, which is kind of funny looking back. By the way, <laughs> I just want to say, I love, I love children's ministry and everyone else is doing adult babysitting because, you know, 80% of people come to Christ from the ages of four and 14. So for any children's pastors, our children's ministry directors listening right now, I'm like your biggest fan. So just, <laughs> just to fully repent, repent on that. But, but, um, so, so I, I go to Clear Creek Community Church in Houston. I'm there several years. I, I put in, put in my, my dues, if you will, love children's ministry. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching about a third of the time, but I, I, I am literally waiting for that big promotion where I'm going to be the, the, the next teaching pastor. We had grown over about four years. We've grown from about 500 2,500 in attendance. This is back in the 90s. This is maybe 
nearest maybe 1999. I'm going in for my annual review, and I knew this was the moment. I knew this was the moment that I was going to become Clear Creek Community Church's next full-time teaching pastor. And um, my 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 life was shattered when Bruce tells me five minutes after you know kind of a little warm up in my in my review. He goes. Well, we're going to, we're going to look, we decided we're going to look outside for our next teaching pastor. I mean, I was like, there is no way you just stepped on my live dreams and on my calling. Like clearly Bruce, you're not dialed into God's plan for my life. <laughs> I remember the first thing that flashed through my mind was I've got to get a U-Haul, put all my junk in it. And I've got to get as far away from the people of Clear Creek Community Church because they have just betrayed me, you know, betrayed my calling. Um, what, what Bruce told me that day, it was literally the worst day I've ever had, you know, with the supervisor, worst meeting of my life to date, actually. Um, but what Bruce did that day, I, I call it was a moment of brutal honesty. He said, Will, you are a leader first and a teacher second. And he said, our next teaching pastor is going to be a teacher first. And that's just, that's just not how you're wired. And as hard as that was for me to hear, I mean, I didn't hear that, you know, the positive, you know, words that he was trying to convey. I couldn't because of, you know, my expectations and where, where I was at the time. But that did send me slowly on a recovery journey to say, you know, rather than projecting a sense of what I want to be when I grow up and, you know, projecting a sense of what I thought was a sexy way to make a contribution to the world through the church, what if I, what if I actually take seriously who God made me to be. And so there was something, you know, it took me 18 months to get through that. That's how jacked up and frustrated and, you know, broken that whole journey was for me. So I was, you know, operating off a pretty deep projection of who I wanted to be. But um, if it wasn't for that moment of brutal honesty, I wouldn't do what I do today and the joy I get from living out of of my, my kind of special assignment for God and my understanding of special calling. And I wouldn't certainly be writing a book about it. So that was, that was a uh, uh, beginning of uh, what would be a life uh, topic for me of how do you know a name and then live into what God's specifically made you to do. So what was that? I mean, obviously the brutality of that conversation was, uh, was uh, extremely painful in the moment when when did that shift or when did the breakthrough kind of happen where you realized, oh, this is, this like, what was that process like? Was it within 24 hours or was it a couple of weeks? What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for cutting out. For me, it was about 18 months before I got on the other side where I could actually be excited about my growing self-awareness. So, you know, but I think that can be sped up for a lot of people. I mean, I was a, I was a bad case of, you know, (laughs) uh, having a sense of what I wanted to do. In fact, Peter Drucker, Todd, who's got put so many laps in terms of high level expertise and management said that most people fundamentally don't know themselves. So even at a, you know, middle and upper level management, you know, most people don't know themselves is what he said. So I was a hard case. But um, I think people can come around a lot faster than I did. Was that in the the context of a relationship, or was there a particular moment in time that that kind of? 
Well, it, it, forth. for me, it was the, it was the 18 months of being, you know, continuing to stay on staff and just be okay with, okay, this is, you know, I'm not going to get this ministry opportunity at this time. And then really beginning to say, I really want to, you know, you know, Bruce said, I'm a leader. Okay. I want to lean into that. What does that mean? How do I grow that? And, you know, over time I realized, you know, my, my, you know, moving into consulting for me in 2001, within a couple of years after that was really about me responding to increased self-awareness that my gift of discernment was higher than my gift of leadership, which was higher than my gift of teaching. So as I began to really grow in my self-awareness, I began to pursue even different vocational trajectories. So it took, it took time. I would say it was definitely relational. It was learning. It was relational. It was a spiritual formation process. When I say 18 months for me, Todd, that was more of the the brutal part to reference right. your question. So it took me 18 months to, to grieve the loss of that vision or that projection of myself. And, you know, the way, the way that I talk about that is, you know, I, I had something to prove and I had something to lose as someone who is, you know, I'm on an executive team at, at a, you know, at a growing church, but I was not, I was not deeply loving people. Like, you know, I wanted to, I, I you know, when you have that, little bit of something to prove, something to lose going on in the background, you're just not fully alive. You're not fully, you know, giving yourself the way God, God, you know, created us to going back to that Ephesians 2.10 idea. So I would just say it took me a while to recover from the grief of that and, and uh, so forth. Well, I'll move us into our uh, second question. And, and that is who or what has been the greatest leadership influence on your life? Yeah, that, Probably the the person who's been the greatest influence uh, on me from a, I would say both a spiritual formation perspective is probably Eugene Peterson through writing and Howard Hendricks through really thinking or like process. So this process is a very you know not a very kind of exciting word, right? Uh, who, who wants to do a process and you know, in, in, in the ministry context, I like to say, you know, church leaders are addicted to events and products, but it's process that produces the meaning, that produces the clarity. So I learned that from Howard Hendricks. I had about an 18-month window where I met with him and a small group of individuals, you know, for two hours. And in the way that I, I it, if you're not familiar with it, you know, he had about a 50-year run as a Christian educator. and He was at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, and some of the younger guys would not recognize that name, but he had a huge impact on me. Eugene Peterson probably through writing had more of that pastor's pastor impact on, you know, and he would certainly have spoken to me in terms of, you know, understanding your uniqueness, the idea that everyone's walked with God and everyone's personal calling is one of a kind. And, and Eugene Peterson, you know, really trafficked in that space really well. So those are the first two that come to mind on that. So, uh, I'll move into the second question, uh, knowing that those people have influenced you greatly. What, what do you want your leadership legacy to be? I mean, obviously, um, it, when I ask you the, the previous question, books had a great deal of impact on, on your life and you've, you've written a lot of books. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, what do you want your legacy and leadership to be? Yeah, I'll, well, I'm gonna. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna reference the book a little bit, the unique book, and how I answer this question because, you know, in the unique book, uh, there's a chapter on what, um, 
uh, on ultimate contribution. That's actually a term from Robert Clinton. And it's this sense that, you know, as you live over the decades of your life and as you move from your 40s to your 50s, maybe 60s and 70s, you can begin to get a shape if the Lord lets you kind of live that long as a Christian leader. You can get a little bit picture of what is the culminating, you know, contribution of your life. And so, you know, as someone who's thought about that for 20 years and who just crossed the age 50 uh, line, you know, I would, I, 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 you know, in the, in the unique toolbox, we have 18 tools, six for your, uh, to understand your ability, six to understand your passion and six to understand your ideal context. So one of the tools we use for ability is the APES, that Ephesians 4, five-fold framework of apostle, prophet, evangelist, um, shepherd, teacher. And so I would answer it first that I'm, I'm uh, apostolically wired. So, um, and when I think of uh, the, the, the capacity of that apostle, it's not the capital A apostle, as you know, Todd, uh, kind of once for all time, you know, from Israel to the church, there were 12 apostles. And, you know, I'm not speaking of the kind of small A apostle as the ministry entrepreneur, uh, the one who extends mission or uh, kind of brings DNA to a deeper uh, connection to, uh, to to the local church community. Um, so I would say I want to have an apostolic kind of influence on the church as movement, and I want to help the church regain that uh, apostolic kind of uh, sensibility that the most important person of the church is the person who's not yet a part of it. Um the way that I think in Church Unique, like a ministry designer, mission's important, vision's important, those, those things in Church Unique and God Dreams, all that stuff flows out of the, the apostolic uh, in me. So my, I would say that my primary contribution, my primary legacy is, is for the, the church, the local church, to return to its movemental dynamic that Jesus always intended it to have. And that I really designed tools and processes for that break through sense of clarity and, and, and therefore the breakthrough sense of movement to, to happen. And it just so happens I've done that for the local church as an organization. And part of even the unique book and the unique organization is the idea that I've realized you're ultimately, your church's vision is going to be limited to the extent that the people inside the church's special calling is not named. It's under, it's, it's unclear. So if there's any foggy, you know, any fog on that sense of, well, why did God put the individual leaders in my church to do then ultimately your church's vision is going to, you know, is going to be held back. So that, that's how maybe both the organizational clarity and the personal clarity come together in the church's movement and regaining that sense of uh, being sent for uh, a reason, for a purpose. Oh, I want to ask you a question because you ha- you're in a very, uh, a, a very unique position in that you've been, with churches of all shapes and sizes, denominations, uh, uh, geographic locations. I mean, it's, I would think that there's not many people that have the experience and background and just depth of knowledge in the church. And, and, and it's a breadth, uh, as well. I mean, you know, all those different types of churches, different types of situations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and your work with Oxano and your work with vision, all of that. I mean, and you've been doing this now for a very long time. What would you say, how, how have you seen churches shift in the last 20 years or so? And what, you know, kind of caution uh, would you throw up right now? 
Yeah, I think I, you know, I think the last 20 years we've seen, you know, at, at around 2000, we started this conversation that I, I call the missional reorient. And one way I think of that is we stopped talking about, we stopped talking about the uh, kind of evangelism as methodology and we started talking about mission as identity. And in the last 20 years, there's been a lot of books, there's all kinds of new conferencing and topics, but there's there's not really been a new model forged from the missional conversation. There's just been a lot, you know, there's been a little emphasis like, you know, external focused church, you know, simple church came out during that time. There's just, you know, other ways we think about the church. There's been kind of increased complexity. Um, the, 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 the kind of the cloning conferences of the late nineties and early two thousands all during this time also kind of went away. So we're at least interested in photocopying or cut and pasting a model of ministry from somewhere else. And, I would say, you know, the one of the, you know, the, the bigger takeaways from that time is, um, you know, that it's it's never it's never been more important to walk a journey where you name your own model of ministry. So we, there was a time, um, even before the '80s and '90s, where you could lead with a one size fits all approach. Uh, I think of Lyle Schaller, it's a great thinker. You know, he had five decades of studying churches and, you know, it was that couple of generations before me just pounding the pavement, visiting church after church after church. He probably visited more churches at the end of the 20, you know, 20th century than anybody. And he said in 1997, he said, the time has come where no two churches are alike. The defining attribute of a local church's culture is going to be its its surrounding microculture. So like if, you know, even two Baptist churches in the city of Houston, if you're, you know, 20 miles apart, there's different culture there. And what if your model of ministry and how you understand your mission and how you understand disciple making, what if that's actually got something to do with the local context and soil? So just that idea of context matters. That's, I think, kind of a, a defining um, piece there. And I think as, uh, you know, as you and I were talking earlier, I think really, as we look into the future, the idea that you could do programmatic expressions of church without robust disciple making, like you could, you could do that. I mean, you could kind of, you know, fake it a little bit over the last couple of decades and still, you still have worship services, small groups and, you know, uh, still draw a crowd opportunities. And, and, and yeah, I, I like to say that, I mean, the functional, the functional, really to answer your question, I would say the functional church in North America for the last 20 years is, you know, go into all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few hours a month. And, like, that functional Great Commission is not going to work anymore. Like, you could really build a pretty decent church, have a staff, and cover your salary with that functional Great Commission. But I don't think we're going to be able to do that uh, very much longer. So I do think we're going to have to take disciple-making uh, a little more seriously inside the walls of the, kind of the, the programmatic church in North America today. So good. All right. I have one last question and that is, um, you know, obviously, uh, like Schaller, you have to, you have to stay ahead of the curve. Um, so I'm always curious to ask people questions about, uh, who they're learning from, but, but what habits or practices do you focus on so that you can continue to learn as a leader? Like, how do you stay, how do you stay ahead? Where do you look? Well, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, part of this, at the risk of saying too much about the book, like actually the unique book actually ends, the last part is, what are the 
habits or practices that one needs to embed to maximize your special calling. And so I'd say those are those are the things that are that are that are most important to me. Like having having kind of looked at, hey, this is who God made me to be. This is why I got put on planet Earth. There's some some practices there. So I would say first for me, and also one that I really declare in the book is the importance of margin. And I've said that where, there, where there is no margin, there is no imagination. And the opportunity, almost everything God wants to grow in our lives, to, to all the listeners today, starts with that principle of pause, that having time to reflect on what he's been up to, how do I best utilize, you know, the, the hours and the days that he, that he gives me to walk, walk planet Earth, kind of that teach me to number my days from Psalm 90. So I would say, you know, having counter blocking the most important time to review your life progress, to review your life calling. And we use a simple recipe for that. You know, we talk about 20 minutes of reflection weekly and kind of embed that into the Sabbath, you know, a couple hours of planning quarterly, um, you know, a day to retreat annually. And then uh, really understanding yourself to know that what is that daily, that allocation of energy, imagination, intelligence, and love that you do daily as a called human being? Like, how do you, how do you even, how do you, how do you allocate that energy daily? And, you know, some people need more kind of review than others, depending on their, you know, unique divine design. So, so I just, I say, you know, that that would be the first thing is knowing, knowing what do I need to do daily, weekly, quarterly, and annually just to hit the pause button on my life. That would be one of my, you know, my primary disciplines, if you will, that I think as I just articulated that, I think actually that's a base, that's a good baseline for any human being um, mm. for it. And gosh, it's such a, you know, I love to learn Todd. So I, you know, learning is uh, in the unique process. We encourage people to articulate their four most core values. We call them your life core. So everyone who comes through our process as a life call, a life core. And one of my four life core values is learning that idea that there's always more perspective, that leading with questions is always more important than, you know, just, just having a few simple, easy answers. What are those next questions? So I love building carnivorous learning into my life. So uh, that always starts with calendar blocking. So I don't have that calendar blocking and putting that margin in place. I'll never, you know, you'll never, never get there. So I, and I love to read. So that's, um, you know, a primary discipline I, I embed in my life. So you know, I have a 90 day goal right now. It's part of the life. I've got four now rhythms that are kind of like, if you don't change what you do daily, you're not changing. And so right now I hadn't read Eugene Peterson in a long time as a formative influence. So I'm reading daily uh, Eugene Peterson. So that's just something I put in my life plan. That's just a 90 day run. So for 90, for 90 days, for December 31st, I'm going to read a chapter of Eugene Peterson every day. And that's just a kind of a, we call that a now rhythm. So that's, that's a rhythm for now. And I'll update that. I'll do a quarterly planning event, you know, end of December, and I'll I'll reset four now rhythms, and I'll reset a new ninety day goal. And so that's just a maybe a little snapshot into what we're talking about in the unique book, um, but but also something that uh, you know I've embedded in my life. The, one of the most uh, beautiful things about what Will does, and you know, I, I kind of want to close out the podcast with this because. You know, people uh, will hear somebody come on a podcast and talk about a book and they're like, oh, they're just trying to sell their book or, oh, Oxano is just trying to sell me consulting. No, 
what what Will does uh, exceptionally well is he is not providing something in a can. So when people when people hear about solutions or toolbox, they're like, oh, this is something in a can. No, 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 no. What Will is doing is he is going to he is going to ask questions. If you ever are, if anybody's ever spent any time with you, that really is what you do. You, I mean, you know, you just talked about it a few moments ago, but you're going to ask questions to bring someone to clarity. And that process is, is just a blessing uh, for anyone to experience. And you do that also through your books and the way that you ask questions in the books helps you get to a place of clarity. The tools that you use helps you get to a place of clarity so that then you can act upon it. Now, it's up to you to act upon it. But I I love how uh, I've never even had a conversation with you, Will, where you haven't asked me uh, questions that that made me think. So uh, I hope that's been the same for our our podcast listeners today. I would encourage you, if you haven't read uh, any of Will's previous books, to pick those up. Um, But do uh, check out that unique book and um, put that put that on your must read list for the year. It's January. So you've got a whole year uh, (laughs) to knock that thing out. Uh, And then when you do bring a couple of people along with you along the way, because that's, uh, that's also really important, you know, as a leader as well, that we bring people with us and just that learning in the context of a group and processing those questions in a group is going to be, going to be really important. So thank you so much, Will, for um, the obvious care that you have for the church, the obvious care that you have for discipleship. And thanks for sharing with us today. Hey, you bet. You bet, Todd. Hey, I'd love to share one thing with your listeners because um, I just want, if any pastors are interested in that idea of clarity, I want them to know from my heart that the book is really not about the book. It's about um, a toolbox that we really have made available for churches to provide to their frontline folks. So, um, you know, I kind of that question, Todd, of what's in store in the future of the church. And I really think helping move the church from a teaching center to a training center is the opportunity for churches to deliver life planning and life design frontline in their in their you know in their settings. So um, I just wanted your listeners to know that as, as if they do pick that up, it's something that we want to basically make them the hero of giving away clarity, life vision and life design to their um, you know, to, their, to their regular attenders and guests and members at their, at their level. In other words, none of this would matter to me if it, would, if it doesn't go back to that ultimate contribution of the church's movement and helping under, you know, kind of release the energy of, of the people of God in every local church you know, across the country. Well, thanks so much, Will, for your time today. And thank you guys for listening. Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Thank you.